Hey, Andy Fortuna here, and I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to listen to Connect and Move Radio. If you are a licensed practitioner, such as a massage therapist, athlete trainer, acupuncturist, physical therapist, etc., who believes in treating the person as a whole, enjoys spending one-on-one time providing hands-on care, and loves helping people improve their confidence, their movement, and facilitate the body's natural inner healing, then I have the course for you the Holistic Movement-Based Practitioner course. It's a mentorship-style course with a three-day live workshop and remote mentorship where we dive into practical assessment and manual therapy skills, movement programming for performance, and energy meditation work. You can find more information in the description at the bottom of this podcast. If you're interested in being part of this immersive educational experience, then take the time right now to sign up. The course is only open to six students, and there's an application and interview process to make sure that this course is right for you. We currently have an active waitlist. So if you're interested, you can send an email to andyandmyernew.com. Thanks again for listening and enjoy this episode. Hold up. Welcome to another episode of Connect and Move Radio. I'm your host, Andy Fortuna. And today we're going to be going into uh, the topic of joint degeneration and the importance of exercise. Today's guest is Anthony Tioli. He graduated from McGill University with a master's of science in physical therapy and is currently a physiotherapist working at CBI Concordia Physio Sport, a private practice clinic located in Laval, Quebec. Anthony is also currently completing his PhD in rehabilitation science at McGill University. His current research focus involves better understanding mechanisms of non-traumatic and post-traumatic knee osteoarthritis, initiation and progression, clinical outcomes, and persistent pain in patients post-total knee arthroplasty, gait, biomechanics, and knowledge translation. He is the founder, president of Info Physiotherapy, an online platform dedicated to providing evidence-based continuing education for health care professionals worldwide. Anthony Tioli, welcome to the show, bud. Thanks so much, Andy. Thank you for having me. No problem. No problem. All right. So give us a background of how you started and how you kind of came to be where you're at now. Yeah, thanks. Um, So I graduated in 2016 with a professional master's at McGill University in physical therapy. I've been working in private practice ever since, so about three years now. Um, And I treat patients with anything musculoskeletal, essentially. So uh, anything, bones, ligaments, that kind of stuff, tendons. And I have um, slowly built a larger and larger clientele of individuals with neuroarthritis, which has become quickly become um, one of my primary fields of interest. And in terms of in terms of research, I've always had an interest for that. Even just uh, when I graduated, was always involved in the research, reading reading through it and and, um, and just be, being involved in it. And then at, at a certain point, I figured, why not summarize this research and then um, make it accessible to, to clinicians or, or other physiotherapists around the world so that they can stay up to date as well. And that's essentially how Info Physiotherapy started. So I started writing little uh, summaries of the latest research that was coming out. I was posting it on social media and it was really well received. I think people enjoyed it and, and found it easy to digest. And from there, it, it just took off. And that essentially started when I graduated. And then afterwards, more or less two years later, I launched the Infophysiotherapy website, which has two online lectures and one online course on knee osteoarthritis at the moment. Um, and that whole idea too is just making online education as accessible, affordable, and high quality as possible. So that's kind of the idea. And the ultimate goal again has always been knowledge translation. So it's to bridge that gap between research and practice uh, and make sure that everyone has access to the latest information essentially. 
Um, and in terms of my PhD, which uh, you had mentioned earlier, I started mm -hmm. that as of last year uh, because of my interest for research. I decided to go back and complete, uh, and I'm starting. Um, I started my PhD as of September, and awesome. I've been uh, working on it ever since. Awesome, awesome. I mean, there's nothing more. <laughs> more than I like than it is uh, digestible research and literature, right? I mean, we can, we can get lost into the literature uh, world and uh, the research uh, funnels, but, you know, having someone like yourself uh, as a practitioner that not only practices, right? Because you can get researchers that just do the research side of it, but having someone that actually is in the trenches, uh, working with patients uh, and doing the research and making it more digestible for practitioners uh, like myself and those listening. Uh, so thank you. Basically, oh, I, you're very well. I really appreciate that. <laughs> um, so, I mean, what's the type of research that goes uh, or that's involved with something like this? Yeah. So uh, throughout my PhD, I mean, it always starts where you get involved in a certain research stream or, or you attach yourself to certain research projects. And uh, for myself, my the initial research projects that I was looking at involved taking a look at how um, knee joint biomechanics relate to cartilage thickness in the knee. Uh, and then slowly started transforming into um, outcomes after total knee uh, arthroplasty or replacement and how that relates to measures of sensitivity to physical activity, which is essentially um, in just really, really brief, simple terms, um, how pain changes uh, in, in response to a physical activity of stable intensity. So, um, for example, if someone experiences a flare during uh, a physical activity of stable intensity, then you would say that they have a high level of sensitivity to physical activity. So that's, we're taking a look at a lot of, um, uh, so it's a new clinical measure and we're trying to see if it predicts whether or not people will do well after uh, total knee replacement. Does that also um, predict if someone is more likely to have a way? Like, for example, if they have continue repetition of sensitivity to stable activity does that can that be more of a diagnostic measure as well before like uh, advanced imaging um not uh, not necessarily i have well it hasn't been used for that purpose as of uh, as of yet but it's right. um one thing that so the um the sensitivity to pain doesn't necessarily need to be present for there to be knee osteoarthritis um, in certain cases of neosteoarthritis, and, and the literature is a bit mixed in terms of percentages, but I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's anywhere between 15 and 30% of the population with neosteoarthritis do present with some sort of central sensitization. Um, and, and so there is, there is that aspect of, of central sensitization that is contributing to the persistence of pain and, and causes this um, hyperalgesia in response to exercise. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, I think it's more indicative of, you know, there are some dysregulatory this this central mechanisms going on there rather than um, uh, for diagnostic purposes. Right. Okay. And then uh, you, you mentioned, what, what are some of the things that you guys actually do within the research? Like certain, um, I guess, some of the stuff that you guys do to f get some information from either the patient or from the, the control groups and from those demographics that you're actually working with. Um, what are some of the things that you guys uh, use? Yeah. So um, with the initial projects that I was mentioning more related to knee, knee joint biomechanics and, and, and that field of research, um, we were using a walkway with uh, force plates. We had a whole EMG system. Um, we had uh, a camera uh, motion capture system as well in the lab. So all that's to measure knee joint biomechanics and the cartilage thickness. Uh, we would then send the participants over to um, uh, a center that's close by to our lab, and they would have MRIs done to, quanti to quanti quantitatively measure the cartilage thickness in the knee joint. 
the motion capture ones are those like the the black suits with like the little white dots <laughs> sort of yeah so <laughs> yeah so <laughs> sort of ours is uh, it's not the, it's not the suit but it's the okay. it's the individual markers that we place on them and then essentially the uh, um, yeah so then after the the cameras pick up on the markers then we create a little biomechanical model in the system and then um, just kind of take it from there afterwards we get them walking and doing different tests and and, and maximal voluntary isometric contractions as well and then you do you guys use like these different like the motion the biomechanics the force plates and bring all that into uh like one piece of information or is it how does that work when you like for example if you have somebody walk on force plates or you have somebody do the motion captures is there like different types of obviously it's different types of information but do you guys bring it together to give you one uh criteria or one uh piece of information or you guys use this as uh, separate tools yeah so that's a great question so uh, all of it gets streamlined to one or two maximum softwares um and then we kind of analyze everything differently so based on the biomechanical stuff, I mean, you could end up with uh, knee joint moments, uh, angles. You, for the EMG, you have the muscle activation. Um, and so we're taking a look at all of that. Um, it could be used as a, as a unit in the sense that you can analyze it all together in a way, but it doesn't give you one like one index, if you will, of, of function or, or biomechanics or anything like that. You really have to analyze them separately and put all the pieces together. And then you mentioned most of your research uh, has, happens with uh, knee osteoarthritis, right? Yes. What's the, I guess, the prevalence or the uh, common percentages or ages that tend to have this type of, um, I guess, illness, type of injury, type of pathology? Yeah. So uh, I think originally the, the originally we, we believed that it was really just a consequence of aging, um, mm -hmm. that it was really just simply wear and tear. But it, we started to realize more and more that it's a lot more complex than that. There's a lot of risk factors that come together and interlink to lead to the initiation and progression of, uh, of knee osteoarthritis. And what we're finding, too, is that um, people are developing it younger and younger. Um, and interestingly enough, we have um, you have at least, for example, um, you're getting a lot of people who are developing younger primarily because of obesity and because of um, because they're sustaining knee joint injuries in their youth as well. Um, mm -hmm. And so you have more than half of all people with symptomatic knee OA that are actually younger than the age of 65. Um, so it, it's becoming more and more common at a younger age. Uh, so I think it's 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 hard to um, it's, it's becoming more and more prevalent across a lifespan rather than really just like towards, you know, in the senior years. So it's, it's changing pretty fast. Are there specific markers in a, like in a patient's, whether medical history or lifestyle, physical activity that kind of, uh, gives you like red flags, like, okay, this person might, you know, might be leading towards a, towards the realm of having the OA. Um, I mean, you did mention like previous knee injuries and, and obesity, but are there any other, uh, markers that, maybe not as, not as common, or maybe you guys are starting to see that are more common? Um, so that's a huge part of the research world right now. So a lot of people are looking for um, pre-OA inflammatory markers or genetic, anything mm -hmm. that they can find that's genetic uh, that might predispose someone to develop neosteoarthritis so they can target it earlier. So it kind of, it's more in that realm of prevention. Um, mm -hmm. To be honest, there aren't, there aren't a ton of things that, like clinically that would allow you to kind of um, we have stats I mean, we have the epidemiology and that kind of stuff, but we don't have, we don't really have any clinical measures that will predict whether or not someone will get it. Um, I mm -hmm. think if you have the more risk factors you have, the higher the risk of that you will develop it. 
uh, in the end. But uh, mm-hmm. at the moment, unfortunately, we don't. But we do have uh, criteria for clinical diagnosis of neosteoarthritis. So uh, an x-ray is actually not required to clinically diagnose neosteoarthritis. Um, we actually have, and there are several criteria available to clinically diagnose it. Obviously, as, as a physiotherapist and rehab professional, uh, it's not you're not there to diagnose, um, but it can help. So these uh, criteria for, uh, for uh, the clinical diagnosis of neo can help you with your clinical impression. Hmm. What's the, I guess, so research is saying that the that knee arthritis is uh, most definitely not just for old people, right? The, exactly. Clear that yeah. from what we're saying right now. Um, there's a lot of criteria and a lot of uh, stuff that we're doing in research. It kind of is helping us find those markers, right? But the, one of the most common markers that we're starting to see is um, lifestyle habits like obesity, um, and then also obviously previous injuries that may have some type of influence uh, to the development of knee osteoarthritis. Exactly. Now, are there can there be patients and I guess people out there that have knee osteoarthritis and don't necessarily experience any symptoms with it? Of course, yeah. Um, the, the, to be honest, the, uh, most of the times the diagnoses happen when it's symptomatic because that's when people will consult. Um, mm-hmm. so it's, what ends up happening is that, um, unfortunately the, the x-ray comes in, the healthcare professional will tell them that they have neosteoarthritis and then all of a sudden the pain is because of the neosteoarthritis, but it, it doesn't just appear overnight. It's been there for a while. Right. And what we're also starting to understand too, is that there's actually a, a pretty poor relationship between um, findings on our, on an x-ray and uh, the pain that patients will report. So the numbers are kind of all over the board in the sense that if you had three people or three different knees, uh, the, if you had the x-rays of three different knees in front of you, you probably wouldn't even be able to guess which one has pain. So, uh, which is, it's, it's, it's really interesting, meaning that the right. experience of pain in someone with knee osteoarthritis is not limited to structural damage. It's a lot more complicated than that. Mm. So, I mean, we talked about sensitivity of physical activity. So if somebody comes in and gets an x-ray, right, and and it shows it has osteoarthritis and they happen to be doing a lot of physical activity, there's not really a lot to say if it's the physical activity that caused it or maybe the osteoarthritis or really what's going on behind it because there's so many factors behind it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's a a tough one. I think um, establishing the establishing the cause or how it happened is pretty much anyone's guess. Um, especially if someone's coming in after 45 years of their life, it, it's impossible to really, to really find the culprit. Um, but what's mm-hmm. more, what we do know though, is that, um, um, moderate to vigorous physical activity and exercise is actually, uh, it's actually safe and does not, in, it does not increase the chance of you getting neosteoarthritis and it doesn't worsen, uh, knee osteoarthritis in individuals who have mild knee osteoarthritis. And in terms of moderate to severe, we don't have a ton of research on that yet. Um, mm-hmm. But I think if it's, it's if it's appropriately tailored to the person in front of you, I think there should be no reason why it shouldn't be safe. So we're going to time out there and we're going to rewind and you're going to repeat that again for the person that is listening to this and that uh, may have may have osteoarthritis themselves, may know somebody with osteoarthritis or arthritis, um, or, or somebody that's a clinician that works with somebody that has osteoarthritis. Because I, like, I think a lot of times the misconception is, okay, I have knee joint pain or I have arthritis. I probably shouldn't do anything. I should be uh, very careful with what I'm doing. But in regards to an actual form of uh, a, a treatment, right? It's almost that exercise is, is a beneficiary. It benefits someone with knee arthritis. Of course. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll repeat it for the listeners. Um, yes. So essentially exercise, moderate to vigorous exercise and physical activity is safe. 
um, and recommended for individuals um, with who are at risk of knee osteoarthritis and with mild osteoarthritis as well. Um, it's definitely recommended for moderate to, knee, uh, moderate to severe knee osteoarthritis as well. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, we're just not sure in, ter- in terms of intensity how um, individuals with moderate to knee osteoarthritis will respond to moderate to vigorous physical activity and exercise. So that's something that um, we just don't have the answer to just yet. But like I said, if it's appropriately tailored to the person in front of you or the patient in front of you, there should be no reason why it shouldn't be safe. Give us uh, an example, or I guess a couple of examples, what moderate to uh, vigorous would be. Because I guess somebody listening to this can be like, oh, moderate, moderate to who? Moderate to me, moderate to you? What's, what's, yeah. uh, like, give us a, a couple of examples, I guess, with what you do with your patients or some of the recommendations that you usually give. Yeah. Well, um, I think the tricky part there is that, I mean, oftentimes you can rely on your, um, your, you know, your strength and conditioning principles and that kind of stuff and for moderate to vigorous. But I think, Mm -hmm. um, what I tend to rely on more is, is literally the person in front of me. Right. So moderate to vigorous is, um, it's relative to the, to, to each person's experience and previous experience with physical activity and exercise and where they're starting from. Right. Um, so the idea there is that, you know, um, in terms of the exercise, you know, moderate, you should be having, uh, you know, it, it should be, it should be tough. It should be tough for you. And you could use scales to also help you with this. There's, there's, you know, scales such as the Borg scale and that kind of stuff as well. Um, mm-hmm. But those kinds of, it, it should be difficult for you to talk. Right. Uh, and then, you know, if you're talking about vigorous physical activity, you shouldn't be able to, you know, you should barely be able to maintain the conversation, but you should be able to complete the exercises and, and, and those, and, and, those are little things that you can use in clinic, but like I said, mm-hmm. there aren't official rules in terms of what's moderate and what's vigorous. It depends on the person in front of you. Um, you can have someone in their seventies who's having difficulty with um, getting up from a chair and squatting for them, or a, a, let's say five squats ends up being moderate to vigorous for them. Whereas for someone else in their forties, that's like that's that's a piece of cake. And moderate to vigorous is um, I don't know uh, sixty pounds or so, maybe eighty pounds on a leg press machine. It really really depends on who you're treating and what mm-hmm. their how strong they are, what their previous physical activity experience is, um, if they've ever exercised before, how deconditioned they are. So it all comes down to moderate. What's moderate to vigorous um, in re- in, res- in respect to the person in front of you, essentially. I think I think uh, a couple of practical things that you said right now. I mean, moderate being difficult to talk, and then vigorous being almost not being able to maintain a conversation. I think that those are practical ways for now as a clinician, but but also those um, listeners that you know want to stay active and may have been uh, diagnosed with osteoarthritis or may think that they may have that or somehow they're you know dealing with it. Um, I think this is a good indicator, a good uh, or not indicator, more of a guideline because um, I guess you know a lot of times, especially with X-rays. Especially with uh, Dr. Google, you know, once you hear osteoarthritis, a lot of people say, all right, my physical activity, my my life is done. Mm-hmm. I have to sit in a wheelchair. I have to sit uh, or I can't go back to certain things that I was doing. Mm-hmm. But like you mentioned, it depends on the individual. It depends on your experience and your physical activity and your strength. Um, basically, your um, profile as a human being and what you've been able to do prior um, and then what your symptoms and individualize as far as what you're feeling at the moment. Um, if you're not, if you're not having issues with, you know, moderate to vigorous exercise, no reason to stop, right? Cause a lot of times, and we mentioned one, a couple of risk of knee osteoarthritis is obesity, mm-hmm. right? And then previous knee injuries, right? We know for sure that, um, a good strength and fitness background is going to reduce obesity, right. right. And also is going to reduce injuries, uh, in the sense of, um, thresholds and when it comes to pain and, um, tissue threshold and stuff like that. 
So what I mean, what Anthony is saying right here, he's saying is even if you do have uh, something that has knee osteoarthritis, exercise is actually a good thing, right? <laughs> he's not saying to kill yourself, right? Obviously, uh, but there's plenty of type of plenty of exercises that you can do. He mentioned right for um, the more advanced age, right? Even sitting up and sitting down, just as, you know, simple as a squat or a walk, right? Or those that are a little bit younger, forty-five to fifty, we, we, he, like Anthony mentioned. Um, a big group that's starting to get more affected are the 40 to 45 group. But in those people, right, a lot of those uh, clients, a lot of those um, uh, patients are still very active, whether playing tennis or at the gym, uh, you know, even CrossFit, whatever it is that you're doing. There's a lot of things that you can still do uh, with modifications and with, you know, proper guidelines, such as like what Anthony mentioned, right? Difficult to talk. That's usually about on the moderate side. If you can't really maintain a, a, a decent conversation, that's more so on the vigorous side, right? And it depends on the person. Yeah. But physical activity is still uh, a big component to uh, to the treatment side and, and, and for the health side of the individual. So I think uh, having someone like Anthony with the research background that he's having, with the uh, educational backs, backing of uh, his experience with knee osteoarthritis, Having someone say that, I know for a few of the listeners, and listeners now a lot are being like, oh, wow, I didn't understand that. Or I didn't know that. Because even myself, I remember seeing a post that you posted, uh, Anthony, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, got us to this conversation. I was like, I would love to have you on the podcast. Is that you mentioned that. You mentioned the the benefit of exercise when it comes to dealing with uh, pathologies such as knee uh, OA. Yeah. You know, and I think um, for the listeners, and you know, there's a lot of, uh, when especially when it comes to like advanced imaging, there's a lot of uh, fear mongering, right? And when you see uh, something on the on your imaging, and doctor says, "Hey, you have arthritis," oh my god! Or you know, a lot of times when I'm working with the patients, like, oh my god, I hope it's not arthritis, or I hope it's not this. I was like, you know, it depends on the individual, right? But just because you have a certain diagnosis doesn't it doesn't uh, alter, you know, it doesn't you not you're not your diagnosis at the end of the day right yeah, it's just actually. like you mentioned it's just a snapshot of what may be going on but there's so many other variables like anthony mentioned just because in the x-ray it has says something there's so many other variables that might be causing your pain right inflammation uh, markers other stuff um you may have had knee oa right or, or another structural uh, degeneration before before you know you were uh, symptomatic so i think having the bigger picture like anthony's uh, mentioning is very important. Yeah, definitely. And I think you're bringing up some some really important points there. And, and I'd like to just add that in terms of, of, of exercise, there's, there's, no, there's no age limit on exercise. I know a lot of times, I think um, one of the biggest problems we have um, in, in, in this population when it, when it comes to treatment is I think we're underloading uh, our mm. knee osteoarthritis patients. So a lot of times, for, I know I mentioned the example of, of someone, a senior patient who, you know, having difficulty with the squat, but um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they wouldn't be able to do a a leg press, for example, like there's no, there's no age on resistance training or anything like that. So I think for those, for the older individuals, we help, we also have to move past just, you know, kind of squatting and step downs and resist and and therabands as, as, um, as a treatment option in terms of exercise and really push more into the, to, to loading them more if, if they're able to tolerate it. And, and that's essentially what it comes down to. So um, in terms of what seems to be most effective, it's more of that moderate to vigorous physical act- uh, physical activity or exercise that seems to be more effective, but it also depends on their response to that type of exercise. So um, 
the question I get often is, you know, is exercise appropriate for everyone? And my answer is yes. I mean, exercise is appropriate for any individual with knee osteoarthritis, regardless of their severity, regardless of whether or not they're on a waiting list for a, for a, a total knee replacement. Knee replacement. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's they're appropriate for everyone. The other the other question that's a little more tricky is, will everyone respond to exercise? And the answer there is obviously no. Um, one thing that the research is showing is that you get a really really diverse response from so like forget what I mean by that is that no one patient will respond the same way to exercise as another will, which means right. that you have to adapt. It's as simple as that. Uh, well, it's, as, it's as complex as that, really. <laughs> um, but you really have to adapt. So you can have people where you can have certain patients who respond very quickly to exercise. You can have certain patients where they'll only respond. There's a delayed response. So it could be after, let's say, uh, four weeks. There could be other patients where they don't respond at all. And you have to find a way to, is it, you have to find the reasons why. So is it because, is it a lack of adherence to the program? Is it because of uh, high levels of pain? So then at that point, we have to find better pain management strategies to allow them to become more active. So um, there's different responses to different um to different forms of exercise and you really have to adapt it and tailor it to the to the person in front of you that's awesome i i, I couldn't agree more i mean that a lot of times too we see like the older individual like more fragile in a sense they are not at the level depending on the person um mm-hmm. as the younger right but even that doesn't matter i mean you can still uh, like you mentioned moderate to vigorous depending on uh, what that person you know previous exercise base is but um, I think I would agree. A lot of times we're underloading, right, mm-hmm. or, or um, progressing them way too slow just because of their age, rather than seeing what the individual individual is capable of, right. Instead of holding them back because they may have, and I think, and I hope something like a podcast like this will give somebody and a clinician, uh, and even a patient, a client that may be uh, have this type of pathology to progress and not be not be too scared, right. Obviously, Anthony is providing very valuable information, very valuable insight um, to saying, hey, it's okay. Load them. Obviously, you know, uh, ask them, create, I know, have feedback, have that communication, but it's actually a very good thing to be able to do that, right? It actually helps them. Um, and if they are going um, into the knee replacement, it's going to help them after the fact, right? We know that uh, prehab uh, programming really helps the post-surgical uh, uh, recovery time. So, and at the end of the day, not only are you helping them to feel more confident, right? To are not only are you helping them to feel more uh, or less as a diagnosis, right? Or like a, a end of the world type of diagnosis, but you're also helping them in the case that they do have to go um, into the surgery room. You're gonna help them after the fact. So I think that was a really, really um, good insight. Thank you, Anthony. Oh, you're um, let's go. I mean, give us a little more info on uh, info physiotherapy. I mean, what yeah. do you guys got going on? What do you guys got, uh, have planned? Um, what does the next few years, months look like for info uh, physiotherapy? Yeah. Um, so right now, as I'd mentioned earlier on the website, we have two online lectures, one on scapular dyskinesis, one on the SI joint. And there's a two and a half hour online course on knee osteoarthritis, which is more of an introductory uh, course uh, for healthcare professionals, essentially. And uh, that's what we have right now. Uh, up, up and coming in the pipeline, um, uh, interestingly enough, I was, I've been asked to do live courses. So uh, that's, that's actually up and that's in the works right now. Um, if all goes well, I'm, I'm, I should be headed to Vancouver in October 
to be teaching to doing a one day live course on on knee osteoarthritis assessment and treatment actually and uh as of next year i'll probably start teaching here in quebec as well and i should have one or two um courses going in, in ontario as well so that's that's what's up and coming in the in the pipeline for uh, info physiotherapy at the moment that is awesome and i'll make sure to add in the website and your social media at the bottom of this podcast so listeners don't go too crazy trying to grab a pen and write this down i will put it at the bottom here um so he mentioned a couple of things courses resources uh even a live course that he is actually working on a couple of uh it was seminars right that you guys you're going to be providing in the next yeah. few months yeah so it's, uh, uh, it'll be one uh, one day course essentially and in, in, in quebec it might be one to two days it's it's in the works it's in the pipeline okay okay um I mean, any, I mean, there's been so much information, so much valuable information, and not only for myself, right, but for the listeners. Is there anything else you want to add as far as NEOA uh, research that, you you know, you're currently working on? Um, I mean, or anything else? I mean, I, we, we talked about a lot, and I think uh, we went through a good amount of stuff, but anything you want to add, Anthony? Um, to add, I mean, <laughs> this is something I could probably talk about for hours. I think I would just say that, I mean, there's, there's so much that, that you could potentially cover. Um, if there are any, um, listeners that have any particular questions, then, um, I can also provide Andy with my, uh, with my email address and you can feel free to ask, to, to, to email me any questions that you might have, and I'll do my best to, to answer them with the information that I have. So I think that that's probably be the most useful. If there's anything, any, anything specific that anyone's really looking to know more about, then I can definitely help with that. Perfect. Any closing remarks as far as everything you said today, Anthony, all yeah. the valuable information you've given us. Yeah, I could do a little wrap up. So I think what's most right. important, um, obviously that pain is not, um, there's not a one, one-to-one relationship between t- pain and tissue damage. So you can have neoarthritis and not necessarily have pain. Um, and exercise along with weight management and self and finding strategies to self-manage the pain are probably the most important interventions that are currently available for neoarthritis. Um, and I think the most important lifestyle changes people can make is to eat well, um, exercise frequently, um, according to what they can, according to what they can do, especially if they have neoarthritis and it is symptomatic. Um, and definitely if you're having trouble, um, staying active or becoming active, please go see, um, a physiotherapist so they can help you become more active, uh, and get back to what you were doing before. Awesome. All right. So now here comes a little, a little twist, a little curveball. And yeah. this goes for you, Anthony. Okay. This is what I call a speed round. So okay. I ask you three questions and you only have 0.3 seconds. That's really <laughs> arbitrary number. That's an arbitrary number. That's just a number I, I, I created. But literally you, at whatever you have at the top of your head is what you blur out. Okay. It's like family feud. <laughs> yes. So fast money. Are you, are, are you ready, Anthony? I am ready. Okay. Favorite month of the year? March. Favorite superhero? Superman. Wow. Superman or Batman? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I think I would go with Superman still. Okay. Okay. Um, I had one more. What was it? Okay. Here's a good one. If you... Okay. I had a good one. and I just lost it. <laughs> Better yet. Here's another. Here's a good one. Uh, the what, you, what? What are you scared of most? Oh wow, that's a 
Oh God. Uh, heights would be one of them, but yeah, I would say heights for now. <laughs> so heights. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're in the same group because me and heights do not get along. Yeah. Like if I'm like on a roller coaster and strapped in, I'm good. But like, I don't know, uh, skydiving, probably not for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're not really strapped in there. So uh, I would probably go with heights. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've thought about, you know, conquering the fear and just jumping off a plane. Yeah. But, you know, as I started riding more planes with, uh, these travels that I have, I've been doing, yeah. I get more scared. And that's me strapped in with the doors being closed. Imagine exactly. that door opening. <laughs> so I think it's going to be in the future. I think it's something that I need to kind of conquer, but up until now we're on the, we're, we're still in the no height part of here. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm with you there. <laughs> um, well, the last thing I do here in, in the podcast is the, the thanks, the thank you. One is going to be thanking you, Anthony, uh, on the other side of the mic, for giving us your time for, you know, giving us a couple uh, minutes here uh, on, on a Saturday to not only talk about, you know, knee osteoarthritis and the research that's behind it and how uh, information is being provided, but also for what you're doing and your approach to providing applicable and digestible information from the literature to us as clinicians and to also patients. So making it more available. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Andy. I mean, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate you reaching out to me to, to have me on your show. It was an absolute pleasure. And then thank you to the listeners, because without listeners, without you as a listener, whether you're driving to uh, work or you're driving from work, um, whether you're doing homework right now or you're just walking your dog or, you know, having a nice jog or in the gym currently pressing away. Right. Um, we want to thank you. Uh, both Anthony and I want to thank you for giving us uh, a platform to be able to to talk, right? To listen to uh, clinicians and to uh, people like Anthony that are providing valuable information and doing really good things in this world. Um, so thank you. want to thank you for your time. want to thank you. You could have been listening to anybody else. You could have been listening to your favorite song, to another podcast, to nothing, but you chose to listen to Connect and Move Radio and you chose to listen to this episode. So thank you very much to the listener and the last thank you i always want to give is to our clients and to our patients because it doesn't matter how passionate we are about what we're doing if we have nobody to kind of uh, provide that value to then it really at the end of the day doesn't really mean much but we do have um our clients we do have our patients we do have our audience when it comes to anthony's research that are very are the beneficiaries of our impact of our passion um, so thank you very much to our clients, to our patients, um, and to everybody else. Thank you for giving us the time. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to do what we love uh, on a day-to-day. Um, I know there's a lot of people that cannot say that. So for us to be able to do what we do um, and for others to see that value, thank you very much. This is Connect and Move Radio. I'm your host, Andy Fortuna, signing out. Hey there, Andy Fortuna here, and I hope you enjoyed that episode. I love the opportunity to connect and share information with passionate people just like you, and would love the opportunity to do the same for others. So please take the time right now to leave a five-star review and help spread the word about this podcast. Thank you so much for your support, and see you on the next episode. Hold up.